Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another mini-episode of Who You Got. My name is Dayton Hammond. Who You Got is a show about creating brackets for things that don't normally have brackets. Now, you may be asking, what is a bracket exactly? Well, a bracket or tournament bracket is a tree diagram representing a series of games played in a knockout tournament. Each episode, we create a bracket for a specific topic and determine the best of that topic through a series of debate matchups. In these special mini-episodes, special rules apply. First of all, it's just little old me here. While there is no guest, I will still be talking through these matchups in a thorough and even-handed manner. Then, unlike a full episode of Who You Got, we will only be debating four items here. That means two semi-final matchups and then a final face-off to take the crown. Lastly, there are no strict time limits on each round, but thankfully we have the man himself, Graham Zima, over here on the knobs to call me out just in case I start stalling out of sheer indecisiveness. So, as the 2010s draw to a close in just a month and a half here, we'll be doing a little multi-episode retrospective here on mini-episodes of Who You Got. It's a series that I like to call Dayton's Favorite Things of the Decade. With each mini-episode, we will be discussing a category of things that I quote-unquote got into in the 2010s, or a category of things that I feel thrived over the past 10 years. Then we will discuss my four favorite things of that category and pick the best. At the end of the day, you'll be able to look at these four winning items and see how I characterize the 20 teens. It should be a fun, fun sort of little event and maybe even a little bit nostalgic for some of us who are already pining for the decade past. The first topic in this series is the hobby that I developed in the 2010s, Magic the Gathering. It's a legendary trading card game, and it celebrated its 25th anniversary this decade. And if I may be so bold, I think it saw some releases that were some of its most iconic and fun. So today we're going to talk Dayton's favorite Magic the Gathering expansion sets of the 2010s. So we have 2014's Cons of Tarkir dueling with 2013's Theros. Then we have 2011's Innistrad doing battle with 2018's Dominaria. The winner of these magical matches will be called the Power One. Hit me up if you get that joke. You're the, just as big a nerd as me, then. I'll try not to get too inside baseball for the rest of this episode, though. Don't worry. So even if you're not a Magic the Gathering fan, stay tuned. And so then, with that, let's dive right into the first semifinal match. We have Cons of Tarkir versus Theros. So Cons of Tarkir was the first Magic the Gathering expansion set that I fully experienced. I attended a pre-release tournament a week before the set's official release, and I was able to, at this event, choose from the five clans that are represented in this expansion set. And this set is based off of Central and East Asian history and mythology, and so you play with cards themed in that way. It was really interesting. I chose the clan called Saltai first. This is a brood of ruthless, really opul opulent necromancers. It's a very, very fascinating looking group. And I ultimately identified with a group called the Abzan, uh, a resilient desert dwelling family, basically. These groups of characters from Khans of Tarkir are one of the set's strongest qualities, and they speak to a really unique aspect of Magic the Gathering. So, each of these groups are identified by three colors from the Magic the Gathering color wheel, which you'll notice on the back of each card. 
They're five different colors and they each represent a different sort of philosophy and different game mechanics while you're playing Magic. So these trios of colors that represented each of the clans were considered of com uh, comprised of basically two colors that really complemented each other and a third that sort of opposed the other two. This created within the storyline and within the game of Magic when you were playing Cons of Tarkir, really unique character concepts and really unique gameplay mechanics. Furthermore, each of these groups, each of these clans was represented by a different part of a dragon, such as a scale, a wing, an eye, a fang, or a claw, that sort of thing. So hopefully you can already see that Cons of Tarkir painted a pretty rich world where ideals clash. And that idea of ideals and philosophies fighting each other while you're playing a Magic the Gathering game, that makes it all the more compelling. I think it's a really successful base for any of the Magic the Gathering set. It makes tournaments with your friends and your own deck building after the fact a real statement about who you are, who you're sort of rooting for in the story, what you value from the game, or in some cases, what you're willing to do to win a game. So, Cons of Terracure does this all perfectly. To further elaborate on it, there's another clan called Jeskai. It's a group of insightful monks with martial arts skills, and one of my close friends really identifies with them. Another one of my close friends identifies with the, a fourth clan called Teemer, a clan of hermits who value and cultivate the ferocity of nature. Again, this all demonstrates the real depth of this game, as demonstrated in Cons of Tarkir, beyond the simple buying of really expensive printed cardboard. Now, Theros, the other set in this matchup, was the very first Magic set I ever played with, period. Didn't really dive into it as much as I did with Cons, but this, still, this set is still really, really special to me. This is Magic's equivalent of Greek mythology on Theros. There are gods, gorgons, hydras, heroes, leviathans, and other legends all taking place there at once. It's really, really beautiful. Magic often borrows from real-world mythologies and beliefs and stories and ideas, and this is one of the most successful executions of that. The gods of Theros feel pretty unique, even though most of them have Greek or Roman analogs. One of my favorites, a god called Crufix, is simply represented by a silhouette of night sky and stars. Some of the arts on his cards are really, really beautiful. Unfortunately, here with Theros, some of the color conflicts that I was talking about with Cons of Tarkir aren't quite as clear. There's a more of an emphasis on isolated game mechanics that are sort of separate from the color wheel philosophy. Creature cards that you play in the game with Theros are often defined by their relationship to the pantheon of Theros gods. Basically, these creatures can be formed into little blessings that can help out other creatures. They can be at once earthly and heavenly, sort of demigods, demigods of sorts, and they can even be outcasts, outliers, things separate from the gods that revolt against their authority. Really cool that this sort of thing can be represented through game mechanics. There are even some relics in the set that correspond to each of the gods and are infused with some of their enchanting aura abilities. It's really quite fascinating and executed well on almost every level. This is a world very much defined by its figureheads, and that's a compelling idea. One of my favorite things to do with the Theros cards is to read the flavor text, the little world-building messages at the bottom of some cards. 
There, some characters that appear in later sets related to Theros, the plane, the area, the world, are referenced here. So even though there might be a character on a Theros card, it might not be uh, my, that character might not appear until later on in, an, in a newer magic set. It really makes this set feel like a piece of a whole world. It's a proper taste, a glimpse into uh, an entire universe, and it's really quite awesome. Unfortunately, I think Cons of Tarkir just had a bigger impact on the game as a whole. These really powerful land cards, the cards that you use to play other cards in Magic, were printed in this set and are pretty standard across a lot of decks nowadays. They're really incredible legendary creatures, unique monster cards with extra powerful effects in Cons of Tarkir, and they continue to lead many decks today. The emphasis on the color combinations is something that I just really keep going back to, too. It changed most of the ways that you can play Magic. After this set came out, a lot of people incorporated Cons of Tarkir into even their older decks. When you're drafting these cards from new packs or building new decks with those colors in mind, Cons of Tarkir is probably going to be there. Its world may not be as delightfully overwhelming as Theros is, but it is at the very least interesting and relatively unique for a fantasy game setting, so it has that going for it. So, with that said, let's go with Cons of Tarkir. Into the finals it rides, blazing past Theros. In the second semifinal match, we have Innistrad versus Dominaria. Now, to be completely honest, I haven't played much of the set Innistrad properly. It came a little bit before my time starting to play Magic, but I've heard legends of its excellence. I play some of the cards from Innistrad in decks where they're illegal. Innistrad is, of course, a gothic horror-themed set, so these cards are really gnarly and pretty cool. One of the cards I play is called Blasphemous Act, and in many decks, it's it's really quite powerful. It depicts a gruesome slaughter in a cathedral. Really, really nasty. It's great. Then there's a card that I play called Bloodline Keeper. It's a vampire card that powers up other vampires and creates other vampires. Fits with its title, I suppose. And then there's a third card called Invisible Stalker that I really like. It's sort of this ghastly creature that can't be targeted by opponents, spells, or cards, and it also slips through their defenses really easily. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the types of things and themes that Innistrad is going for. What if then I told you that the cards I mentioned, as powerful as they sound, are some of the weaker spells in this set? There are some absolutely devastating cards in Innistrad that continue to be in high demand today. The fan favorite character Liliana Vess has a card here that nets you a pretty penny if you pull one out of a pack. A creature called Snapcaster Mage helps fuel many popular competitive decks today. Uh, a card called Parallel Lives can straight up double the power of your deck if you play a certain style. It's amazing how much power Innistrad brought to the table. Thankfully, Innistrad is great to play on its own, isolated from other decks as well. While multicolor cards, cards that have you know white and black or white and blue, that sort of thing, represented on them, uh, the lack of them in this set made drafting straight out of packs a little bit more fun and intuitive for a lot of people. There's more of an emphasis on the groups of creatures that are represented. There's human cards, there's spirit cards, there's zombies, vampires, werewolves, and all of them sort of help each other out. So a lot of people re re resonated with that theme. 
These synergies among the creature types was not only fun, but very indicative of the gothic horror setting as well. So does Dominaria, the newest magic set that takes place on the franchise's original setting of the titular Dominaria, offer this kind of power and flavor and fun too? Absolutely. So when people ask me what my favorite Magic the Gathering set is, I tell them Dominaria. It's the first set of Magic card packs that I bought an entire retail box full of. It prompt, what prompted me really to buy all of these cards was the set's emphasis on those legendary creatures that I've mentioned and other iconic characters. So not only were there more than the typical number of legendary cards, they were also supported by other non-legendary cards. So you could make an entire deck just full of legends. Then there were these special cards called sagas. They were special enchantment cards that told stories that impacted the game as they went along, often in really, really powerful ways. And, plus, they're really legitimately good ways to learn about Magic's most notable events, including the uprising of half-human, half-machine monstrosities, the triumph of one of Dominaria's most favored tragic heroes, and the Ice Age-like period that overwhelmed the plane at one point. Dominaria clearly hasn't had the easiest go at it, but what can I say? It makes for good storytelling. Finally, the set, Dominaria, feels a little bit more flexible than Innistrad. You can build a myriad of decks and make them work pretty easily. These sort of cobbled ideas are soon revealed to be not just cobbled, they make for inspiring future decks that, that felt really like your own and not like, like what the set dictated for you. Innistrad really tied you to those creature types and that gothic horror theming, whereas Dominaria feels like all of magic and everything it offers. Innistrad feels like one awesome moment in magic, whereas Dominaria feels like all of magic. With that said, I hate to exile the fan favorite in Innistrad, but I think Dominaria moves on to the finals. It just feels like a complete tribute to everything that magic is and can be. So, for the title of the Power One, we have Magic Expansion Sets, Cons of Tarkir, and Dominaria. Let's do it. Wait, that's the wrong card game. Okay, anyway, first of all, I hope even hardcore Magic the Gathering players would agree with me that these two sets, nay, all four of them that we've talked about today, are really franchise highlights. Even Theros, which is arguably the weakest of these four, according to general consensus, is getting a revisit in 2020 with the new expansion set, Theros Beyond Death. In the 2010s, Magic was a really great thing. It was a great time to get into this hobby. At least I feel. I've had a great experience with it so far. It doesn't feel like a relic of the 1990s, especially with the relative success, growth, and polishing of the digital version Magic Arena. It's just been a wonderful time that's really... The, the, the hobby's really been supported. So with all of these strengths set in line, I think 2020 will be a great decade for Magic 2. If you used to play, maybe it's time to pick up a deck again. If you know someone who plays, maybe ask them to teach you, even if you don't know what Magic is. Hopefully this episode has given you a proper taste to encourage you to learn a little bit more. Now is a great time to learn. But back to the matchup. Cons of Tarkir versus Dominaria. Cons of Tarkir is the direction I would take if I were to design a magic set. 
a bold emphasis on the colors and the relationships between them, strong game, at, game mechanics that float seamlessly between different colors and help players tackle the daunting task of playing more than one or two colors, flavor that is subtly but definitely rich with real-world references and innovative fantasy story ideas. It's perfect. But, man, Dominaria is a set that really could have only been designed by Wizards of the Coast, the company behind Magic, at this point in its history. It reflects everything that Magic has built up, from story to mechanics to philosophies represented in the stories. It's wonderful. It feels like a love letter from those passionate creators to their own creation. It feels like a thank you to the world of Magic, the fun, the cards, the lot of it. So that begs the question, which is the better achievement to be an inspiration for wannabe game di designers like myself or to be a celebration of the entire game? I gotta say, Dominaria just feels like it has that little extra dose of special. Most notably, I think it's accessible and, at the same time, deceptively complex. There's a lot of emphasis on the individual colors as opposed to Cons of Terakir, where there's an emphasis on groups of three. In Dominaria, each of the five colors has a special rare creature that is firmly set in that color identity and gives you an idea of what they do. But there is also, within a couple cards, dabbling into two, three, or even five color combinations. Dominaria does a great job of introducing you to the basics while showing you the possibilities of what the game can be for you. For longtime fans, there are references to older, long overpriced cards like the Moxes, these powerful jewels that help you cast spells. There's a card that references Cabal Coffers, and it's called Cabal Stronghold and has a very similar effect. And then, of course, we have a reference to perhaps the most famous magic card, Black Lotus, in the form of Gilded Lotus. Even though this card wasn't exclusive to Dominaria, it is a great reference and a great callback. And it's just a nice little wink and nod to those who have been playing the game for a very long time. Gons is definitely special too, don't get me wrong, but like Innistrad, it feels like a moment for magic rather than a wonderful lifting up of it all. It gives you pieces to work with in the form of clans, but Dominaria gives you the scope of what magic really is, all in one beautiful set. It gives you the canvas, not just the paints. Cons of Tarkir will be the set that I show people who really want an exclusive, singular experience from the Magic world, one that's really of high quality, but Dominaria is the set I will show everyone who has even the slightest interest in the game. I will let them run loose then afterward, wishing that they will draw well in all of their future games. So, Dominaria to me is the Power One, Dayton's favorite Magic the Gathering expansion set from the 2010s. If you are at all interested in magic, visit a local game store. I can't encourage that enough. If you're in too intimidated by that, then just honestly send me a private message on social media. I'd be happy to point you in the right direction to help you start your 2020s with a little extra, well, magic. As always, thank you for joining me on this mini episode of Who You Got. Don't miss a single episode when you follow Who You Got on Instagram and Facebook. You can suggest topics for any episode, anytime. I look forward to seeing what you guys want to see run through the gauntlet of the bracket. Then, of course, wherever you're listening, please review, like, and share. Five-star ratings are great, your thoughts and suggestions are great, and your friends and family joining the party and listening in would be the greatest.
Thank you again for joining me on this mini episode of Who You Got. We continue Dayton's favorite things of the decade series next week. So look forward to that. My name is Dayton Hammond, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>